Greetings and welcome to ID the Future. I'm Casey Luskin, broadcasting with Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture in Seattle, Washington. Today we have on the show with us one of my favorite ID bloggers, and that is Dr. Michael Egnor, professor in the Department of Neurosurgery at the State University of New York, Stony Brook, where he specializes in pediatric neuroscience. Dr. Egnor got his medical degree from Columbia University Medical School, and he's not just a brain surgeon, he's an award-winning brain surgeon who has been named one of New York's best doctors by New York Magazine. He's also an impressive researcher. He's published scientific papers in journals like Experimental Neurology, The Journal of Neurosurgery, Magnetic Resonance Imaging, Pediatric Neurosurgery, Neuroradiology, Neurosurgery, Clinical Neurosurgery, The Southern Medical Journal, and The Journal of Pediatric Surgery. He's a regular writer for Discovery Institute's news site, Evolution News and Views, where I know that our readers regularly enjoy his writing. So, Dr. Egnor, it's a real pleasure to have you on ID the Future with us today. Thank you, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. We have been wanting to have you come on ID the Future for some time to talk about your writing, actually, on Evolution News and Views, where it seems like you have been a one-man war writing, responding to Jerry Coyne, the famous evolutionary biologist at the University of Chicago, who's also a well-known new atheist. So before we get into this, Dr. Agnor, you have written a lot of spectacular posts on Evolution News responding to the arguments of Jerry Coyne. We're going to talk about these debates you've had with Dr. Coyne and some of the arguments you've made, which I think have been very compelling. But before we get into that, I'd like to ask, why do you focus your writing so much on Dr. Jerry Coyne and his arguments for atheism and evolution over at his blog, Why Evolution is True? Well, one of the problems that we face in sorting out the truth on questions about evolution, questions about metaphysics, questions about science, is that our opponents on the atheist materialist side very often don't speak very candidly or even sometimes don't speak honestly about what they believe or about the logical implications of what they believe. Dr. Coyne is very candid about exactly what Darwinism means, about what atheism means, about what materialism means. In discussing and debating things with Dr. Coyne, I have great respect for the fact that he's honest, he's right up front. He says exactly what he thinks, and honestly, what Jerry Coyne thinks, I think, is what most New Atheists and Darwinists and materialists think. But most of them are embarrassed to say it, and, and Jerry Coyne isn't embarrassed to say it. I think that's very interesting, Dr. Agnor, and I agree with you. I think that Jerry Coyne tends to be a lot more candid. A lot of the Darwin defenders out there, they realize, I think, the implications of their worldview implications for things like free will or whether there's an objective morality and, and those kinds of things. And I actually respect the fact that Jerry Coyne tends to not have that sort of self-censorship we see in a lot of Darwin defenders who want to make evolution more palatable to the general public. And so they kind of don't talk about those things. Right. Jerry Coyne is sort of much more informative person to discuss these issues with because you don't have to deal with the evasions. He's quite clear about what he means. Now, also, Dr. Agnor, before we started this podcast, you and I were talking about how the Darwin blogosphere has changed a bit in the last few years. And actually, some of the old stalwarts who used to, it seemed like they would devote all of their lives to just regular blogging against intelligent design, they've kind of, I don't know, either they've found other things to do with their time or they've really just found that their blogging was not effective, or they kind of just got tired of the whole thing. I'm not sure, but we've seen that some of them aren't writing as much anymore. 
Yet Jerry Coyne is one of these bloggers who is still regularly riding on evolution. Do you agree with that sentiment? And maybe what is your sense about how the Darwin blogosphere has changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, it seems to me that it really has changed. It's changed, I think, quite a bit. The ORAC, who's a surgical oncologist published under the pseudonym of uh, ORAC, and Stephen Novella, who's a neurologist at Yale, are good examples of, of how much I think people have changed. Both of them have written in the last year or so much less about Darwinism, and Novella has written much less about his materialistic theories of the mind. And I think a major part of it, and ORAC has actually been rather candid about this, is that they've been sort of in bed with some pretty radical, pretty extreme, some pretty, one might even call disreputable metaphysics. And they kind of, at least ORAC has kind of implied that he wants to get away from the you know, new atheism. It's not something he really wants to be closely associated with. Novella hasn't said that, but you kind of wonder if perhaps that's part of his motivation as well. Interestingly, they both take into writing a great deal about criticism of alternative medicine and things like that, and they seem to be taking the same tactic. They kind of jump into something, but they won't get the disagreement from us. But I think they're a little embarrassed about some of the stuff that they've put on the internet over the past few years. Over the last, I would say, two or three years, the frequency of good quality science writing on evolution news and views has gone up significantly. You've been a big part of that. We've had a few other writers join, so I wasn't the only science writer anymore, which, was, which has been nice. And at the same time, we've seen a decline in the amount of high-quality science writing from blogs like Panda's Thumb. And so in some ways, there's some... Old voices in the Darwin blogosphere have diminished and some new ones have popped up. Jerry Coyne certainly is one of the ones that has really popped up on his very popular blog. So, Dr. Egnor, let's get into talking about some of your blog discussions and conversations with Jerry Coyne. First of all, really, he's a defender of what we would call scientism, the idea that science is the only valid way of gaining true knowledge. What do you think about his scientistic views and do you agree with him that science is really the only way of gaining true knowledge? Scientism is a kind of a dumbed-down version of positivism, which is a philosophical school that flourished in the 19th century. And, and positivism basically is the view that only things that are mathematically demonstrable or uh, experimentally verifiable are true. And the problem with that view, with the scientific or positivistic view, is that the opinion that scientism is true is not itself a truth that can be demonstrated by science, so that it's self-refuting. If scientism really is true, if the only way you can demonstrate truth is by doing an experiment or by reasoning it out mathematically, well, then the assertion that scientism is true is not true because it can't be shown scientifically. So what people like Coyne who advocate scientism end up doing is they end up using metaphysics. They end up taking a philosophical stance to claim that metaphysics and philosophy aren't valid, which is kind of a foolish thing to do. It's self-refuting. So scientism, in my view, isn't really a philosophy or an opinion. It's kind of a sophomoric mistake. Yeah, so if science is the only way of knowing, how do you know that? Did science tell you that? And if not, then how do you know? It's one of those self-refuting claims, essentially. Precisely. I like the way you put that. Now, in one of your posts, you say that life, like a solid Rubik's Cube, is incontrovertible evidence for intelligent design. Can you elaborate on why you think that's the case? What do you mean by that, and why do you think that life is like a solved Rubik's Cube? The specified complexity of living things is absolutely astonishing. That is, if one takes all the different possible states and configurations that matter could assume, 
and then realizes the very specific configurations and states that it has assumed, it's, I think, impossible to rationally attribute the specified complexity in living things to chance, very much the same way as if you see a, a solved Rubik's Cube on your desk that you didn't put there. Somebody had to solve it. It didn't get solved by vibrations on the desk and motion of the wind that moved it around until by chance it got solved. From a combinatorial standpoint, it requires intelligence to do that. And the materialistic Darwinist viewpoint on life couldn't even, frankly, solve a Rubik's Cube let alone give us the human beings who uh, are the ones who do the solving. Now, you are a brain surgeon, Dr. Agnor. You study the complexity of the human brain, which is a question that I'm sure you know a lot more about than most folks, but I'm sure you would say we've still got a long ways to go. Do you see this similar kind of specified complexity in your study of the brain? And as you said, you know, there are many, many different possible states, but only certain states are chosen in biology or maybe only certain states will lead to a functional system. Do you see that at work in, in your research and your understanding of the way the brain works? Uh, certainly, certainly. Uh, I mean, uh, the brain obviously didn't come to be through unintelligent random processes. I mean, that, that's frankly, that's so obvious it barely needs saying. What is particularly striking is that you don't even need to invoke the brain to deny materialism and Darwinism. It's a simple bacterium. It's so far beyond the ability of chance processes to produce that the bacteria on your finger is unequivocal evidence of intelligent agency. You don't need the brain. And the brain is obviously orders of magnitude more complex. But just a simple bacterium can't be explained materialistically or through a Darwinian process. Along those lines, Dr. Egnor, the famous science writer Isaac Asimov once said that the human brain is the most complicated organization of matter that we know. Would you agree with that? I'm just curious. I mean, Asimov was an atheist and a materialist, and yet he said that. What do you think of that quote? It's probably true, but it's, I think, relevant that the complexity in the simplest living thing is still completely beyond what unintelligent processes are capable of creating. So, of course, the brain is completely beyond that. But in any living thing, materialism, Darwinism cannot explain its emergence. Okay, Dr. Agnor, well, this is a lot of fun. We're running out of time for this first podcast. I know that we want to talk about your discussions with Dr. Coyne on free will and determinism. So we're going to come back to that very soon. So thank you, Dr. Agnor, for your time. And we'll come back for more with Dr. Michael Agnor on ID the Future. I'm Casey Luskin. Thanks for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute 2014. For more information visit www.intelligentdesign.org or www.idthefuture.com.